Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. Before exploring the essential nature of intimacy and what it's for, we examine the paradigmatic distortions at the root of the Palestine-Israel conflict, which is a geopolitical relational catastrophe, currently rearing its ugly head yet again, that predictably cannot resolve until the root issues are addressed. On the subject of personal relationality, we discuss the critical surrender to intimacy as a vehicle for healing childhood wounds, how polyamory is an understandable but immature flight from that truth, and how the pursuit of fulfillment in intimacy reveals what's in its way. Thanks so much for listening. Greetings and welcome forward, everybody. We took a break. Um, in case people didn't notice, there was no episode dropped last Friday. The reasons for which I'm not going to go into, but I did get one email for from a listener uh, who uh, was, and she'll know who she is, I won't name her, um, to protect the innocent or whatever, uh, expressing a completely unsolicited you guys are great. Keep it up. And all we did was miss a podcast by four or five days or whatever. And I got this email. So I was really touched by that. Oh, yeah, for sure. Or, and anyone who was worried that uh, we'd quit in the face of the rise of um, the, you know, <laughs> difficulties of the world and all that. No, we will not. We will not be defeated. We will continue. Hi, <laughs> Stacey. Nice. Yeah. Hey, greetings. So before uh, we go into our realization du jour, I'm pretty sure, yeah, we covered um, that everything is real and some things are realer than others last time. Um, mm -hmm. And so the next on our list is that the primary point of intimacy is to heal child childhood wounds. I could not miss the opportunity to talk about uh, Israel and Palestine, which is an issue that has been a splinter in my soul since the early 2000s. Uh, mm -hmm. and uh, in previous lives earlier than that. Um, mm -hmm. And <clears throat> I found myself really thirsty for a more conscious discussion about it. So uh, mm -hmm. and it's timely. And I, I think that the media is doing a terrible job um, portraying what the actual root issues are and yeah. all the reactions around it. So before I, well, in order to get myself to shut up and let you actually have a word, why don't you say how all that is for you? <laughs> Start somewhere. Well, uh, to not put too fine a point on it, uh, the number of layers in this cultural clusterfuck uh, mm -hmm. is uh, uh, so many different layers intertwining inter at any one time. If we, if we look at it from the biggest meta point of view, for me, what I shake my head at tragically and sadly is that uh, it proves that the religion religions don't evolve. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. We've talked in many times why it is impossible for religions to evolve when they all believe they and the only they hold the absolute truth about things, which yeah. is impossible for any human being, however deifiable by the zeitgeist of uh, of the religion, but yeah. uh, they they were fighting over Jerusalem what five hundred years ago, uh, and and the cultural clash mm -hmm. here 
um, between Islamic and, uh, and Jewish uh, religions and cultures uh, goes on unabated. Uh, mm -hmm. So, boy, you could you could frame this uh, any number of ways, but uh, whatever. Well, let's just name from the thing that I keep shaking my head at is um, Netanyahu with the emphasis on Yahoo uh, uh, that has gone uh, so far right uh, um, that it borders on fascism. Uh, mm -hmm. And yet, and he's, he, he doesn't have 100% support as it would be in normal, quote unquote, war times from his own folks uh, because of that. Um, the, the electorate uh, in Israel tend to be leftish middle uh at the at uh, not and sometimes radical left but not not right when they somehow elected uh, or the Knesset uh Knesset uh, elected Netanyahu so am I pronouncing that right Netanyahu or that's just yeah, my that's, idiom? Uh, that's <laughs> how they say it in the media I don't know if it's uh, like good Hebrew or even if it is Hebrew I I, I think it is yeah it sounds like it well well, certainly, this conflict didn't start uh, uh, with Hamas's uh, invasion. Um, yeah. So, of course, there's long simmering resentments of the Palestinian people after 1948, when mm -hmm. Israel was carved out of uh, Islamic territory, more or less. Uh, and so that never has settled. Um, and the resentment on both sides, uh, Israel has a right to exist somewhere. Um, but it wasn't really, it was, it was heavy, heavy ham handled. Uh, yeah. How they they did were, that. The Palestinians were railroaded or the heirs were railroaded. Right. And completely, completely. And, and I, you know, I'm as torn as you are in some ways because, um, Israel certainly has its share of contribution to, um, the problems there. But when they and and so when Hamas decided wisely or unwisely to up the ante here and 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 attack a, a music festival, yeah, uh, and take targeting really, not not incidental civilians, but really targeting civilians. Yeah, targeting civilians. Of course, my shock. Uh, there's no there's no justification for that. And, and yet and yet I can see that pent up non solutions uh, from the. Uh, the Palestinian side, the Islamic side, uh, they've hit the end of their rope and they that they thought this was the only way yeah. uh, to start balancing the books is beyond tragic. Uh, yeah, that's what, what really hit me when I first heard of the invasion was like, wow, like things are not going to go well for them after this. It hit me. And like mm -hmm. how much pain and how rageful must they be dealing with such that this is what they thought was a good idea. And then people are saying in the media, like, well, they think this is going to gain them international attention and they'll, they'll be sympathetic. Like, no, there will be no sympathy for taking 150 plus hostages and targeting civilians, like some, and that's true, but not in any kind of significant way. So right. the, the curiosity that I felt was like, wow, what's going on in there that you did something yeah. this stupid because Israel yeah. now is justified in bombing you into the stone age. Yes. And that's not really going to help your cause. So, <laughs> so yeah. this is so deeply irrational. It must be emotional. And yes. so what, what bothers me about that is the, the inability for the and to be made in mass consciousness mm -hmm. of this is unacceptable and understandable at the same time and to for there to be a desire to seek to understand why such an atrocious act would happen 
But instead of making that and, it's dismissed as evil. And so the Palestinians think that the Israelis are evil, and the Israelis think Hamas is evil. Yeah. yeah. And that's just that it hurts because it's a stranglehold. It's like you paired they paradigmatically can never sort this out when each of them thinks the other is evil. It is structurally irresolvable. And isn't that isn't that the tragedy? Uh, I mean, when you add together all the atrocities done in the name of God over the last three, four, three thousand years, it, all the atrocities done in the name of humanism or humanity uh, are so far outweighed by the atrocities by religions. And uh, your tears are so touch me. Um, and I, I think you, you as you, because you, you referenced other lives to be of a, a Jewish heritage this life and have past lives as Islamic, you have a really soulful um, uh, uh, orientation here that I can imagine just rips your heart out. Yeah, it does. Um, you know, in the the in in many different methodologies, people will. Uh, write eulogies for themselves as a way to clarify values or whatever. The first time I did that, it was 2001 or two. And for some reason that I would not realize for a long time, I don't know, four or five years after that, in my eulogy, um, the I was in very much a goal manifestation kind of way. So it was about all my accomplishments as an Enneagram, as a very unconscious uh, Enneagram three at the time. One of the accomplishments in my eulogy was brokering peace in the middle east um and i've tended to first i was gonna say some reason but i know the reason even though i was raised jewish and of course the palestinians have always been um accused of, of terrorism whereas with the israelis are more organized and have better technology and so what they're doing is military action not terrorism even when they bulldoze civilian settlements it's not terrorism for some reason I've always wanted to err on the side of the Palestinians, which is, was very confusing for me as a kid. Um, sure. about these. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always felt like, you know, they just got to resolve things and, and the violence on either side is not okay. So when I fantasize about like what would have been an appropriate Israeli response, I'm curious what you think about this, like in identity land, what, how should a nation respond to a, a, an attack like what Hamas did? What I fantasize is that the leaders of Israel would say, wow, this is devastating for us. You know, you've targeted and killed civilians and taken people hostage. You know, our first reaction is to want to bomb you guys back into the Stone Age. And you know we could because you're not stupid. And we don't want to do that because we're going to end up killing civilians too. And we just we don't want to kill people. This has been going on back and forth every 20 to 40 years for centuries. What's going on? Can we sit down and talk about this before we bomb you into the Stone Age? Because yes. we don't want to do that. Let's talk about what you really want here before we start another war. How about and that? <laughs> Joseph, you, you take the words basically right out of my mouth. Uh, because what that would have done is earn the respect of every country on the earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, they would have gone, they could do this, but look. They're opening their arms and want a solution. It would have villainized Hamas a hundred times oh, more. Oh, yeah, they would they look terrible. And so, and, if they didn't again, engage we, in the conversation. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, but with a leader like Netanyahu, this what what we're proffering here would be utterly impossible in the political climate there. Even though I can imagine sixty percent of the Israelis, if they Israeli in in Israel, if they heard what you just said, would have went, dude. That would have been the higher the higher um, uh, response, the more moral response. We still can do it, but. Uh, you must, guys, you and in, in, in the Palestinians, you must be so desperate. What can we do? Is there? Can this end now? Can we find a final solution? And of course, um, all of this is in a world that doesn't exist right now. Uh, consciousness, yeah. zeitgeist, that just doesn't exist. So I, it, it went the only way the, the dominoes could have gone. I only heard one rational opinion about what what could have driven Hamas. And that was uh, as a trap that they were that they did such an atrocious thing. They wanted to suck uh, uh, Israel into a thing, uh, and then they had a some sort of prearranged tactical or strategic uh, response about getting them from all sides. But they can do Israel can do so much from remote. Uh, they don't have to send in tanks and armies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I don't that one didn't seem to hold very much, but there were a couple outlets that were really extolling that that these Hamas people are pretty smart, you know. Well, that hasn't turned out to be the case. Yeah, and it's just that exactly. I've read some of that stuff, and it all reads as like, well, I'd be able to entertain that kind of thing if you also honored like how how possible and likely it is that they're in so much pain and so angry that they're doing irrational things. Yeah. Because like that's what terrorists do; <laughs> they do irrational things. Like no terrorist have, has ever succeeded in changing hearts and minds through terrorist acts. Like that—that's not a thing. So Q nine eleven. Q nine eleven. Yeah, you know, uh, it's just it 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 doesn't work. So it's it's obviously it's not like they're like well maybe this time it'll change hearts and minds. Like that's not what's going on. The same way you know someone who. Uh, you know, it's it's someone who commits um, you know violence person to person. It's like at at what emotional maturity age do we learn that might doesn't make right, and that we can't solve our disputes through violence, whether physical or emotional? And like some of us never learn that. Um, and mm. um, you know, I can admit that like there have been times uh, in relationships where it, it's easy to condemn nations for. Um, not resolving conflicts peacefully, but how good am I at resolving conflicts peacefully when someone rages at me that I love? How often do I rage back? That's the yeah. same thing in context. Same it's not thing. physical same violence. Thing. Right. Right. But it's, and, it's energetic. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so there's not an appreciation that in our society either. It's just like, you know, people are either on the side of, of Hamas or, or at least, you know, in some, you know, liberal progressive, like, well, they're occupied. And so it's understandable kind of thing or on the side of violence. But instead of being like, oh, this is an expression of how very few human beings on this planet have actually know how to deal with conflict in a mature way. We all suck at that. And yeah. if you're have been burned before and have access to weapons, then yeah. it tends to escalate. Um, so, but we just yeah. suck at conflict as a species. Yeah, and this is a tra another tragic example of it that that has no really solution base in the content of the activity. Yeah. You know, Joseph, it, it strikes me here that if you're going to um, attack, even unilaterally, like Hamas did. Uh, uh, militarily, then keep it militarily. Uh, 
this is what I couldn't understand. And that there's an integrity in that, okay, the absurdity of war is beyond a capital A absurd, first yeah. of all. But if you're going to play at that horrific game, the the least amount of integrity you have is that military against military. And if you're outgunned, uh, which they are by technology and armament and the monolithic uh, back, uh, backing of the United States, did they think they were uh, that they could do that with Israel uh, and not and not engage the United States? Uh, yeah. So you know, so you can frame it: one man's uh, terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Yeah, especially right? because literally right now, as we speak, the U.S. is backing Ukraine with yeah. a whole lot more money than we'll probably ever put into Israel. So it's like, it's yeah. already demonstrated that like, you know, uh, de- de- entering into a war with Israel is entering a war with the U S. So yeah. the, what, what fascinates me is like, like you were saying about all like, well, what explains this? What explains this? And there's no conversation about how wounded mm-hmm. they must be. And right. the people who do go to how wounded they must be, do right. so irrationally and try to justify yes. their actions. Like, no, yes. the actions are unacceptable and the emotions right. are understandable. Both. Yes. How fucking hard is that? Yeah. It's a, but that's, that's the low CQ or consciousness quotient of yeah. our species. As you into, hinted at before, we don't know how to resolve conflict because in, if we go really down, if we go down the rabbit hole, uh, we never learned how to resolve the conflict of what we didn't get in childhood in terms of love bandwidths, as we say a thousand times in this series. It, there's no lack of love in this world. It's the lack of a certain bandwidth of love mm-hmm. that uh, children in their newborn to young child age have a whole different um, a bandwidth of love they need that the uh, parents have forgotten how to be able to provide or were never taught to, to provide. So there's your first conflict, uh, right? Yeah. And so in that sense, that's why our topic today also dovetails here. Yeah, yeah, uh, it does. Where, does where, did, where did our species' uh, horrifically low CQ about conflict resolution begin? Well, it never, it never even occurred in childhood, a conflict there. Well, we can enumerate that uh, as we will here today. But, you know, the tragedy... Uh, the non-solutionability here is what just yeah that's me that's up. what's really hard because it's like it's already been framed inaccurately so whatever happens they're just going to dead end the the poor the incomplete paradigm for conflict resolution and everything else um you know the, a lot of people will die maybe some possibly some territories will be redrawn but um you know at at, at in most extreme but there's the the, the paradigmatic frame on both sides precludes a true resolution um, because Israel's in this, we will never be victims again, which causes them to be victims again. Yes, exactly. Anytime there's any amount of attack, they have to overreact to make sure that they're not victims, which puts them in a victimhood mode. And, uh, and then terrorism always has as a root in it, a a cover over victimhood as well. The leaders of Hamas must've had horrible childhoods such that they, feel that here's this cause that they can outer direct their rage at their parents at uh, their oppressors, Israel, without ever having to deal with the original only true oppressors that was their parents in one way or another. And then they've bonded together uh, and all agreed upon it. And now they have a common enemy and it creates a form of false love that they didn't get as children. Yeah. And so, 
I have there's one other dimension here I, I'd like to just chat a moment about before we uh, kind of link over to our topic, mm-hmm. and that is uh, Israel was do was doing genocidal um, uh, uh, things to its enemies in Galilee and uh, uh, in, the, in the Judea centuries before Islam uh, mm-hmm. even existed in some way. Mm-hmm. And not existed, but got became a vital uh, religion. And so uh, their pogroms against uh, different oh, even uh, existed. Islam didn't exist until the seventh century. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Sorry. So, uh, so here we, you know, it it, it was terrorizing non Jewish cultures and tribes way before uh, Israel or, or Islam ever got uh, uh, its footing in the world. So. Where's their historical narrative here? Uh, their pair, I love what you say. Not, no, the world does not look at ourselves or the, the any arena of the divine uh, of the human, the divinely human, through paradigmatic lenses. So yeah. when, once you look at it through a paradigm, this is unsolvable, and the, and because they don't think that way, they think they're going to solve it on content. And even if there was a ceasefire today, what? Well, what happens next time someone gets a burr up their butt uh, on either side here? So, you know, uh, uh, the Jewish uh, um, culture and religion is is guilty in the past uh, of pogroms and massacres of children and 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 women, and not just militarily. So, where do they get off on taking the high road in that one sense? Yeah. Uh, even though you know there were historical narratives that did entitle them to some acreage there uh, in 1948, and so uh, it, the, the thing is such a clusterfuck that um, without without the paradigmatic lens, it's unsolvable. Yeah, and that that's I think what hurts the most for me, and um, to to makes it claustrophobic because it's like just to see th- there whatever they do, there's no resolution. And then uh, the word, the uh, phrase you said, ceasefire is such a great example. Ceasefire, yeah. behavioral control. Yes. We'll stop <laughs> fighting. Uh-huh. How well does that work between two people? Okay. Both of you just stop fighting, go to your corners. Wait, why right. were they fighting in the first place? doesn't matter. Just stop fighting, just control yourself right. and things right. will be okay. Well, how long can you pull that off? Yeah. It's behaviorism. So, what what and I, what I love about you wanting to bring this topic today is that if a, a, a paradigm that touts the possibility that it can diagnose from meta paradigmatical dimensions all the way down to personal emotivity and back again uh, to be able to see through or or uh, um, have an opine about how a paradigm like ours sees these kinds of lower lower um, consciousness paradigms of religions uh, that, that keep repeating and repeating and repeating. What's wrong with this picture? Why mm-hmm. is this still persisting? Why are they, they're still fighting over Jerusalem uh, in right. one way? Is, yeah. So what, what has evolved, what has changed in all these, in this uh, half a millennia? Is, yeah, because that works. land is holy and all of the other land is somehow in the world less holy. Like, I mean, just even yeah. that paradigmatically. As if I thought wait, really? in both of their paradigms, it's all God, right? It's all yeah, there's nothing uh, that's not God. But but how but but Jerusalem's really God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, like dirt. Dirt yes. is God is God. The well, holiest. technically, 
nothing is holier than anything else. And and, and if we haven't said this before uh, for listeners, uh, identity says there, there's no dirt on earth that's more holy than any other dirt. Um, and so any projection of any religion that says this is ours, this is sacred, this is holy, uh, don't spit on our parade, is um, stuck a couple thousand years in the past. Yeah, uh, so everyone involved, I mean, every Arab and Jew in that region would have to emotionally process whatever attachment they have to that, quote, holy land right. to arrive at whether they actually should be living there or not. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because if they have an attachment to this land is holy and I have to be here, then that yeah. trumpets the, how likely it is that they should be living somewhere else because it's coming God. from fear. Exactly. And then the territory could be divided up from after that, and maybe it would all be fine. You know, who knows? But no, no, no. They've got to compete well, for the scarcity. Uh, as Gandhi uh, forwarded, I don't think, I think someone, a philosopher uh, uh, brought this phrase and then Gandhi popularized it, you know, an eye for an eye until the whole world is blind. Yeah. You know, how, how many times do we have to do an eye for an eye action, reaction, uh, action, vengeance, uh, before we get that all we're doing is blinding ourselves to the deeper, oh, there's only one race, the human race. There's yeah. only one race. Uh, and so, yet here we are fighting, because both Islam and Judaism, as we've said so often, were uh, founded to have a common ancestor in Abraham. And so we've got siblings fighting for dominance. Right. And they have a lot more in common than uh, different, yes. which is also part of the issue. And eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth comes originally from Hammurabi, which I believe was like uh, 1700 BC yeah, yeah, or yeah, older than yeah. that. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, it took like, um, you know, a couple thousand years to be like, maybe that's not that good an idea. And it might take a few more thousand years for that to be embodied. Um, yeah. But in the meta of things, of course, that these the these are younger souls who are learning and they're dead-ending paradigms by right. being in constant conflict with each other. And that that's a perfect uh, bridge to our topic here then today. Thanks for bringing mm. this uh, forward, Joseph. Uh, and that is that, you know, uh, conflict resolution does has never, has always been behavioral, as you say, or strategic. In this, in this very least. And so what identity would offer here, we, we can reduce it with that bridge that two siblings um, uh, in conflict over getting mommy and daddy's attention uh, and they beat each other up. Uh, th there's always underlying uh, issues, subtle issues that drive behavior. Behavior is a means to an end. It's not an end. Mm -hmm. And it always has forebears uh, in, in the unfoldment of consciousness growth. Mm -hmm. So where does the first, let's tie it to where the first conflict comes from, as we already mentioned here. And mm -hmm. that is what, this is a, a radical um, headline uh, that the whole point of adult intimacy is to heal childhood wounding. Um, this, this is such an obvious thing to me. I, I never saw that, that truth or that realization anywhere in psychology or philosophy before. Maybe someone thought of it, but I never saw it. I looked. And so it's so bloody obvious. How can you miss it? Uh, uh, in that sense, um, uh, if you if we get that the first templates of relationality are with parents, 
the pluses and minuses in their parenting techniques uh, that they've been taught, the plus or minuses are going to uh, um, condition children to define relationality uh, uh, dynamics. And so this is where it starts. And the templating those behaviors, a good example of which is, oh, we can't, uh, our marriage uh, is over and completed and it's actually undergroundly uh, um, aggressive uh, all the time, but we're going to stick together for the sake of the kids. Oh, no. Um, uh, is is all that teaches kids is that love doesn't drive marriages uh, yeah. in that sense in adult relationships because the kids are going to pick that up with the underground stuff that the parents believe they can cover over and yeah. kids always know they always know so this is not about blaming parents who do the best they can do it's about shining a very harsh light on parenting and how little we've ever gotten uh, um, good guidance on parenting. So if we armed with that template where kids, first of all, don't get a bandwidth of love that they need uh, uh, to uh, prosper in their authentic emotive being, uh, when you start with that, uh, uh, then you get, you add the conflicts that they see in parents that are go unresolved as we already made the template with, with the, current uh, um, situation in the world, uh, you, you've got a, an astounding, astoundingly obvious situation, Joseph, right? Uh, why do we have to reinvent things every generation? I see this in a lot of different <laughs> domains. I'm, I'm sitting here and all of a sudden it's, it's, it's a dawning on Gen X about da-da-da-da-da-da-da when this has been in, in every generation, maybe for 300 years, and yet they have to relearn it over, every generation has to relearn what we've already learned as a, as a species should have already learned. It's very slow. Yeah, it's like, oh my God. it's like as soon as the paint dries in the room, it's, somebody yeah. starts repainting it. <laughs> it, it and, it's, and then, and then these, these really basic realizations, I mean, I know, the young souls populates, you know, three quarters of the planet. I get it. I get it. But that affects everyone's uh, um, uh, um, experience in the yeah, world. Yeah, that's not the problem. There's souls. plenty of old souls in Israel and Palestine right now who are not pleased yes. about what's going on, surely. Yes. But the, since whole older souls aren't duped into power uh, dynamics, they They're tend not electable. Not to, yeah, they're not, they don't aggregate to, to political uh, uh, fufara. They yeah. won't play that game. And so what does that do? It defaults to power mongerers. Yeah. Uh, uh, even if there's heart, more heartfulness in some left ends than there are right ends uh, in, in the political landscape, it doesn't matter. It's still, we've got to have power to change the world. No, you don't need power. You need strength, which your suggestion that I agreed with 100% that would have taken strength for Israel to say, wow, you guys must be hurting for certain in a way that just we're not getting yet and that you had to get our attention by killing civilians before we bomb you. Let's talk. Mm -hmm. That that alone would, would have been strength, not power. And we would, in our paradigm, power is the wound-based version of strength. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we don't have older souls in the leadership positions. Yeah, unfortunately. And then that's a whole other trapped claustrophobic kind of thing. Like, well, how is that ever going to resolve? But yeah. one, one distinction I think that 
is important here to make about uh, mainstream psychology and MFCC land and all that is mm-hmm. in the areas where it's appreciated that there's an opportunity or a need to heal childhood wounds in intimacy. Mm-hmm. It's never, it's not in the mainstream circles put as the number one thing. And I think that's yeah. the difference <laughs> between identity and everything <laughs> else that I've seen. Yeah. Identity would say, I actually, that's how I wrote it. The primary point of intimacy primary yeah and that not is the still only one not the, the only one but the right. first and there's a, something that is very important when that is put first yes. um and i admit that um operationally Im- embodiedly um there's i have not achieved this yet um there's mm-hmm. still mm-hmm. a negotiation mm-hmm. going on in me about that because the embodiment of the uh the idea that the primary point of relationship is to heal intimacy. Um, to, of intimacy is to heal childhood wounds. I don't. I don't know how to um, succinctly describe what that does. <laughs> Partially because I'm still. I'm very much in that right now. It. It uh-huh. um, was as one thing you once told me, um, uh, giving me guidance about the relationship that I was in. Uh, let the relatedness change you. Uh huh. Yes. And that's something that a mainstream psychologist would not say. Yes. They wouldn't say yes. that. Um, no. Because we come from a place of the you that you think you are isn't actually you. Yes. That's where we start because 70% yeah. are of, the, of who we are is actually unconscious to us. Um, yes. So we see the conflicts and issues and challenges that are pushed up by relationality are really wonderful ways to see all of that uh, unconscious stuff and um, demand, in many ways, a radical shift in being um, if you're with the person you're supposed to be with, which is a very big (laughs) if, as you often say. (laughs) Um, The same way one's passion path, the one's destiny work will do the same thing. Interestingly, we have the same view of um, uh, passion work, you know, uh, we have in our society doing what you love and meeting the person of your dreams. They're mm-hmm. both supposed supposed to make you happily ever after, right? And nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> no, what no. it does is it 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 there is a wonderfulness and a fulfillment to it, but it also challenges all of your stuff because in both cases, it's the it's the highest demand for the deepest, most soulful you to show up. And our yes. protectors very much don't want that to happen. Yes. For noble reasons. For that's noble the, reasons. That's the, that, and that is where it gets really sticky to be able to uh, outwork it, uh, embody it, as you say. But, you know, what you just said was back in the 90s, I heard uh, somebody very clever who came up with intimacy, you know, into me, I see. Into me, you uh, see. I've seen it both ways. Oh, okay. Into me, you see. Into me, I see. Oh, I never thought of the I, right? Into miss, I see. Yeah, okay. And and that speaks to what you're saying about relationality. uh, uh, Let it it inform you about you also. So that's out there in some headline way, but a dharma to actually embody and process that that particular truth is just is just not well the i mean to put a fine point on it the problem is as long as happiness is seen as the ultimate state of consciousness yeah (laughs) then it will always eclipse the discomfort of looking at your unconscious issues in a relationship because if the frame 
conscious or not that you have for the relationship is, well, at the end of the day, this is about me enjoying my life. Yes. Then if, if that's your frame for your own life and your reality, then when things get hard, you're going to go, well, I don't think this relationship is working for me when actually it could be doing exactly what it needs to for you. And you need to go further into the difficulty rather than um, bailing on it. Easier said than done. Yeah. Yeah. Easier said than done in so many different uh, dimensions. So, you know, uh, I love that you you touched on that rabbit hole because that background assumption uh, about happiness of course, the identity says it's the most uh, active drug of humankind consciousness on the planet mm-hmm. because it's 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 uh, it's unassayed, it's unanalyzed what what happiness actually means. I mean, and this is the crazy part. Even a neuroscientist or or a, 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 a fairly decent psychologist or psychiatrist would say that uh, might agree that two thirds of uh, what we uh, what um, impel our motives to intentions, intentions to actions, and actions to outcomes are unconscious. Mm-hmm. Uh, it acknowledges the unconscious, but there's no access to the unconscious. And so how could happiness as the main driver of behavioral intentions, behaviors, and outcomes, if, the, if that's going to be rooted, the, the deeper stuff's going to be in the unconscious. And yet that simple alacrity is just so absent. It's it's heart. It's heartbreaking to me. Heartbreaking to me. How that's yeah, there's a resignation. It's like you know, many more advanced um, neuroscientists or therapists or whatever. Be like, yeah, there's a lot of unconscious driving our actions, but there's not a real passion or curiosity to, to like, well, what's in there? I mean, that's like what the foundation of psychology was. How do we interpret dreams, for example, to yes. discover yeah. what's going on in the unconscious? And then you know, within a few decades, it was how do we control over the unconscious so it doesn't yes. it's not creating such messes? And that was behaviorism. Um, yes, and and then that that turned that evolved into practicalism, where yeah. uh, the, for me, psychology hit its Peter principle about thirty years ago, almost not, not quite forty years ago. Uh, and and then real and then practicalism. Uh, well, don't be a victim to your childhood, and you know, talk therapy. Really, if, unless we hook it to uh, 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 drugs, um, it's not really effective for a, a yeah. good share of the cases. So there was no honest, honest recalibration going on among, among in the philosophy of psychology that said, "Hey, folks, you know, we've been at this for you know ninety years now." Uh, yeah. What are we really accomplishing if we need to augment it with psychoactive drugs? What what is talk? What is talk therapy? So ah makes me want to scream. It's like it's the same thing with like how COVID was handled. There's no retro. There's no debrief. There's just like no debrief. Huh? We've been working on this talk therapy thing, and there's dozens of different versions of it. But you know what? Let's bring these very strong psychotropic (laughs) pills, and maybe that will help. Wait, wait, wait. Why do we need those? Does that mean it's like there's there's no admission admission? of failure, right? There's and that's the thing, and and our species, this the the philosophy of whatever domain we're talking about is so bereft of accountability. Mm -hmm. If the meta to say, can we debrief why this is not working? That's what drove me crazy about 2008, for example. That. That um, oh, God, uh, after yeah. all the the bloodshed and the blew a hole a, a blew a hole in the whole world economy, 
uh, bless his heart with the best of intentions, Obama on a practical level had to rehire a lot of the players who caused the damn thing in 2008 to happen with no accountability. Yeah. Um, we'll do better next time. We'll have throw more regulations on it. Uh, yeah. It, it, it's it just like so... when Biden said this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated and not yeah. long later became realized that the vaccine didn't. The, first of all, it wasn't a vaccine. So that was right. <laughs> there was no yes. accountability for that. Why are you calling right. it a vaccine when it's really a f- effective as a flu shot? And it yes. didn't stop the spread. So like your yeah. headline, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated was completely untrue. Yes. How about a nod in that direction. Remember when I said that? Turns out yeah. I was wrong. Here's yeah. what I learned from the experience. How about that? Right. No, leaders right. don't. No, it was it was a, a pandemic of the vaccinated. It may have <laughs> it may have allayed people uh, um, uh, some of the degree of sickness and folks with uh, oh yeah uh, co- contributing uh, um, sicknesses that they had. Um, but I just read someone, someone semi-famous who just died of the second or third time he got uh, COVID and he was fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And so th- this is, this was absolutely crazy. Uh, every time, if you catch it naturally, you may have subsequent uh, reinfections, but each one will be milder given your own body response, assuming you've got a semi-healthy hail immune system, Right. And, and that that's also been demonstrated that, that natural immunity works right. better than the quote vaccinated right. immunity, further right. undermining right. that it's not a vaccine. Yeah. Oh God! And then the return to um, even the uh, N95 masks, uh, the porosity is much too big to keep out the COVID mm-hmm. um, thing. So, but but then they they admit that up front, and then they say, well, it's better than nothing. Maybe it'll stop some uh, uh, some rate of reinfection or et cetera. Anyway, uh, the, the, we, we, there's all the same principle here that there's no accountability for when stuff doesn't work in our cultures, because that would mean someone being honest. Hey, I, I'm either misspoken, I really regret how it affected public policy, yeah. or I, 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 I resign because I affected uh, so many thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people's lives for no reason. Uh, uh, well, that's another thing that's been bothering me bug. recently about the 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 accountability that we do see is typically resignation, and oh, yeah. and that I forget what the, there's been a number of examples of that in the last month or so, and I, I've been having um, oh yes, it's thumbs up. This is this thing. Yes. I <laughs> Yeah, yes, there's no fireworks today. Uh, no, so, yes, yeah. I don't know how you make the fireworks happen on Max Sonoma. <laughs> I keep forgetting to turn that off. Sometimes it's fun to use. But yeah. um, uh, the resignation thing, there have been sometimes I'll read in the news, it's so, such and such mess happened and so-and-so resigned. And my reaction has been like, no, no, I want them to stay in that position and yeah. learn from the mistake. Right. Because what else like that's very often the most ideal thing you know it's like i remember the bp oil spill that happened in the gulf where like the ceo resigned like he had anything to do with the operations in the gulf you know this company of tens of thousands of people and he takes the fall and then we're all supposed to go oh the culture of um you know uh not paying attention to safety that must certainly that must have changed now because one guy is not working there anymore like what (laughs) 
Like, I want to know what his values were, how what his contribution was to the culture, what he learned from the experience, maybe even how right. it links to his childhood wounds. And I want to know right. everybody who was involved in that operation and exactly how they contributed to it. And then they can write it all fucking down and post it in the New York Times. How about that for accountability? Yeah. There you go. Oh. Oh, so, yeah. So that we just filled up that uh, rabbit hole there. <laughs> let's cir- let's circle back uh, here yeah. to um, where we were talking about how how we um, don't really, well, maybe put a new headline here, we don't talk about how as adults our value systems are affected by our childhood wounding. And oh. Because that, that, that dynamic that we don't have access or even a cultural permission in a lot of ways to yeah. talk about how our childhoods affected our value systems. No one's challenging value systems from the ground up, just the top down. You know, uh, well, we believe in God Almighty, blah, 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 and we can justify murder. Okay. Um, end of story. Yeah. <laughs> end of story right there. Whoever came up with that in the annals of Roman Catholicism, in one way, uh, was they had horribly wounded childhoods. But, but the point I want to make here is that in the '90s, it became the the, the climate started to change uh, toward the early 2000s, where it became uh, "Don't play victim to your childhood." I mm-hmm. remember that phase, mm-hmm. and that, in a sense, that is still going on when we don't connect. Adult value systems that are obviously either self-stagnative or self-destructive. And that was the heyday of landmark education, by the way. Yes. Uh, Put the past back in the past. Take it out of your present and future and put it back in the past. Exactly. Tony Robbins, et cetera. And what happened to that unbelievably clear simplicity that you may be done with the past, but the past is not done with you? Why didn't that offset that nonsense? Uh, There's no uh, accountability and responsibility taken for how to resolve such things. Had Landmark said, well, here's what we would say about the past is you may be done with the past, but past uh, isn't done with you. Here's what we would say about that and why we disagree. No, just cover it over with our new picture without accountability of, of, of what was else was going on. And so then it became energetic and behavioral how to solve these things, not analytically emotional. Which wasn't new at all. It was just <laughs> behaviorism on steroids. Because here's what, and I've talked with many landmark people about this, they never say this and they don't. I don't think, I think a lot of them don't know. I mean, back to paradigmatic assumptions, they don't realize that they're operating with the paradigmatic assumption that you can use the conscious mind to override the unconscious. Why don't you just what? admit that's what you're testing out and that's <laughs> yes. what you're trying to do? So that after okay. three months, after someone does the landmark forum and they revert back to their old behaviors, there's a fucking explanation for why that is. <laughs> Instead, it's like, no, 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 you need to do the next course. Right. Just keep adding in layers and layers and don't admit the failures or the yeah. limits. It, there's the lack of accountability right there uh, mm-hmm. in every domain of our of our world, basically, where we don't. I love what you said here. There are a couple of leaders that they don't come to mind at the moment, but had they just admitted their fallibility and made a structural attempt to change whatever it is that they they were holding themselves accountable for, they, they would raise in my estimation. 
but our leaders, because most of them are all about power, they're not inspiring. Uh, anyone who's into power, the tea man, the orange man himself, his power is is divisive and destructive in its end game. It's funny. Where, where's was, the analysis of that? I was just about to bring him up. I, um, it's funny you say that because I was going to say, if tomorrow he said, you know what I realized um, is that uh, I became obsessed with winning a long time ago and uh, I uh, couldn't bear the loss of the last election because somewhere inside me, I feel like such a loser. If he said yeah. that, I would vote for him in the next election in a heartbeat over we just about feel, any yeah. candidate who's around. <laughs> if, if, that, if we could feel that was sincere, I'm right with you, um, because then he learned something mm -hmm. instead of doubling down every single time. He's got gag orders on him now, and he still keeps insulting the judge. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I, my, my version of that is if uh, the T-man would say, you know, I finally got what my uh, niece, I think Mary Trump, I think that's his niece, the one oh, who yeah. writes about his psychopathology. Uh -huh. She's fucking right. I'm a narcissist. I, I, I just realized I put myself and what I get out of being president way more than I care about what it happens down to the to the uh, uh, living paycheck by paycheck folks. Yeah. I'm I, I, I'm a, I claim to be a billionaire, but I've somehow found a way to take the lower middle class consciousness economically and, and marry it to my multi-billion dollar empire orientation. What? What? There's a there's a rabbit hole we could go down. Well, and who knows? Down. Yeah. Well, last thing on this yeah. rabbit hole is I find it totally fascinating. He has four active indictments uh, that he's dealing with right now. Um, he's for sure going to lose at least one of them. They're not looking good. And so his obsession with proving that he's not a loser when he obviously feels like that inside is yeah. going to uh, result in, you know, these very serious cases where he's going to be a um, legally a loser in them. It's so fascinating to see how he how on, on what a large scale he's drawing the, the reflection um, yeah. uh, that he very much needs. And this is what yeah. we do to bring it back to uh, yes. intimate partners. Yeah. This is exactly right. if it's not happening with life, if it's happening in a romantic mm -hmm. relationship, that's exactly what happens there. We draw to us what we need to face. And then most of the time, blame the other person for showing it to us. <laughs> blame the other person for showing it to us. Killing the messenger. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Uh, so if we put a uh, even finer point, that's the third time we've used that interesting metaphor today. I did it once, <laughs> you did it once. Let's, put a key, let's keep down, sharpening, yes. the, <laughs> sharpening the pencil here. Uh -huh. uh, that if um, it, we only draw to us some version of either the same gender or the opposite gender, uh, depending on whether you're cisgender or alt cisgender, uh, you're going to draw one of your parents to you as a romantic partner. Uh, if you're even semi-conscious, you might not do that if you're a really young soul, but the older soul you get, you want to be considered an older soul, that's fine. But then you've, there's some things you've got to take along with that quote-unquote baggage of uh, being an older soul. You're more responsible for what you don't know. You're more responsible for your mm -hmm. unconscious the older you are. You mm -hmm. certainly would not hold the same moral strictures to a 10-year-old as you would a 22-year-old. Uh -huh. Same principle in number of incarnations. The older soul you are, so many people get off on that uh, with a self-image, and yet that holds you far more responsible for what you don't know if you are that old of a soul.
So your karma is going to be much worse if you're an older soul than it is yeah. if you're a younger soul. Well, it's sort Another of like being point. a CEO or something. You've got a lot more responsibility and most of the people below you have no idea what it's like while they collect yeah. their steady paycheck and the yeah. level of yes. accountability. You're In one way, you're accountable for just everything. <laughs> You know, yeah, and um, so in that in that sense, um, if we draw to us in intimacy, why do we? Why does this? Let's talk about that for a moment before we complete. Here is why do we draw partners tied to our our unhealed wounds from childhood? Well, because what 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 we resist, even unconsciously, persists, and and we draw to us exactly what we were taught unconsciously, the message, not how the parents portrayed their parenting to us, but the message behind it the children pick up. What was the message your father had when he beat you? What was the message you got? Especially he says, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Oh, God, this hurts yeah. me more than it hurts you, son. What's the message in that? Uh, uh, false empathy. Uh, mm -hmm. He says that, but the child can feel that that's, that is, is a lie. And so uh, in that sense, why, why do we draw uh, these templates uh, back to us? Well, because, they, again, that was the template that, our, our, that they, they templated what relational space was like. So if you've got unhealed daddy stuff, you're going to draw a partner. It's going to look okay on the outside for the first, you know, past the honeymoon phase, mm -hmm. but then you're going to realize, Jesus, this person makes me feel like my father felt feels me. What? And psychologists love to make those parallel linkages if the client brings them up in a good share of the cases, mm -hmm. or they see an opening to do that. But then it becomes a realization-driven thing, uh, um, only an insight that doesn't have the feet all the way down on the trans transmutative round. Yeah, because the so, point ultimately is the you know it, I, I think in terms of the design of it, it's one of the greatest bait and switch uh, tricks that divinity uh, has on us. It's like the carrot <laughs> is first. There's sex, especially for uh -huh. men. We just we really that's a, a basic human need. We really like that companionship, yeah. loneliness, and you know we have this idea of like, well, if I meet the perfect person then I'll be happy and all of my woes and troubles and loneliness will go away. And that's what drives us, uh, you know, into a relationship. And then after the honeymoon is gone, then the reality, and I just imagine, you know, it's an anthropomorphization in some ways, but it's like, sure. I just imagine God being like, gotcha. Now you have to feel what it was like as a kid. And this is the only way we, yes. you, you could feel what it was like to be a kid again. Yes. Um, because it's the best way to remember what it what you felt like to be a kid, as we've said before, the close proximity, the physicality, the living together, um, yes, all of that. It recapitulates what it was like to be a kid, and well, how else are you going to remember what it was like in a felt way, not just remember yes. in a head way, right, right, but in a felt way to remember how trapped, paralyzed, you know, unsafe, whatever. Um, th th the only way is to ma marry, uh, in quotes, partner up with um, some version of one or both of our parents. How else are we going to heal those wounds if, if, we, if, we, yeah. if it doesn't do that? Yeah, exactly right. Um, and, and I'd like to uh, uh, add to that from a slightly different door. Uh, sexuality and intimacy. Uh, when you're just doing casual sex, this doesn't apply. 
But when your heart gets engaged, uh, mm-hmm. and whether you consummate it uh, with, with or without the state's blessing is irrelevant, uh, intimacy, adult intimacy, is the only thing that recapitulates the insane kind of closeness uh, that you had with your parents as as the templators of what it means to be human uh, in relationality. So it's the only thing that recapitulates it. That's the structural reason, again, why we draw people from our childhood based on our, our in, uh, in our in our adult life intimacy from our unhealed uh, childhood wounds. Now, this is not rocket science. Let's just say that again. The degree of intimacy in and how a child relates in the family unit from birth till let's say 12 or 13, but a lot of times goes all the way to your, in your 60s and 70s, you're still tied to mommy and daddy. Uh, So many people, Uh, the sexuality and where love is involved added to it, you want, you are opening doors to emotional um, uh, 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 fulfillment, doors to mental fulfillment, doors to um, uh, 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 intellectual fulfillment, spiritual fulfillment, you're seeking fulfillment, and that's that's the adult version of a child seeking oh. some emotive validation. You see, uh-huh. so, uh, it's not just physical intimacy; it's all the other intimacy. I haven't heard you say that before. The seeking of fulfillment yeah. as a frame, mm-hmm. yes, and that that, that recapitulates be- the needfulness of a child. I didn't hear that a- before. Exactly. This, I'm this, I'm almost embarrassed to to. to um, Put those terms to it because it seems so obvious in some ways. And where I don't blame psychology so much as the philosophy of psychology. Where's where's the who's minding the store? Uh, um, like you said about Landmark earlier, and uh, and wait a minute, can't why isn't talk therapy working? What do we have to do to get this to work? First, as we say so often, we're all responsible for the contents of our unconscious. There's nothing unholy or non-divine about the self, and um, uh, we are. Uh, um, what was I always think? I always miss that. I can never get all three either. Responsible for the contents, we're emotional beings first, emotive beings first, and the self is sacred in itself. Self is sacred. Self is sacred I don't know why I can't remember all three. Yeah. I, uh, I, I founded this silly thing, not silly thing, and I still can't remember sometimes. I can remember all three. the soul species. That's 27, <laughs> yes. but I can't remember that list of three. <laughs> yeah. So while we're laughing here um, in a sweet uh, kind of amused way, um, we're talking about a worldwide tragedy of the non-realization that intimacy is is inextricably, when love is involved and you're seeking fulfillment, recapitulates the child's needs, uh, 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 the same level of of depth and meaning that uh, the child was seeking without even knowing it. And you got near this point, but let me add one more thing because it's extremely popular today, and that's polyamory. Um, And the the reason identity um, doesn't necessarily frown upon, but would have a lot of questions about polyamorous um, or casual sex or anything other than committed monogamy is precisely because it's yeah. so, so likely that anything other other than committed monogamy is an attempt to avoid the childhood wounds that inevitably and uh, 
I don't know what the word is, the adverb, inevitably and supposed to, Lee, I don't know what the word yes. is. You're supposed to deal with <laughs> your child. Yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, that's unavoidably yeah. is literally what that means. But I mean, like, yeah. from it, there's an objective truth that yes. committed monogamy. We're, we're not saying, identity would say that committed monogamy, maybe not in your current life, but eventually, like, it's yes, what you need some. to do. Yes. And we, yes. we assert that as like being objectively true, and it's not up to you whether you like it or not. It's just what you got to do. Um, just yeah. like eating your vegetables, like you don't have to like the vegetables, but you're supposed to eat them. <laughs> yes. Well, the other dimension of polyamory that's so frustrating in some way is that they they think it's a, a brand new uh, they slap a new cultural name on something. Uh, threesomes and foursomes and corner marriages have yeah. been going on for thousands of years. So. We, it, it, it's it's um what is it what is it we used to say Joseph um when you do polyamory or when you do non uh, non committed monogamy what you're doing is um, uh, collectivizing the uh, risk but privatizing the no what do I say privatizing um, the profit and socializing well, the risk privatizing that yes yeah. exactly you want to you want to spread the it's like an insurance policy well if this if one of if the two partners i have if one of them doesn't work out um it'll work out with the other one um and so in that sense uh, it's an insurance policy that you don't get down to the nub of things i just as a point of interest um i was just talking to a, a neighbor of mine recently who told me and I, I still almost don't believe it except he has no reason to make it up or lie um there is a, uh, it's not a public place. It's a, you know, like a, um, a, a spiritual kind of um, open to lots of different pairs, a new age kind of room that gets rented for different kinds of things, like many um, new agey places like Sedona and Ashland and yeah. Asheville mm -hmm. and Shasta have. There's a place here on Maui where apparently, this is from a fairly direct source, every Wednesday night, interesting that it's on a Wednesday. People get together and there's a kirtan, which is like the Hindu esoteric Buddhism oh. um, mm -hmm. thing, you know, singing and chanting and praying. And then they take mushrooms and other drugs. And then eventually everybody gets naked and it becomes an orgy. This is uh -huh. on a weekly basis. This is brilliant. Like yeah. 1960 call. They want their, like, have we not, are we not done with this? Like, and even before <laughs> 1960, it's like, this was done in, you know, Greek in Rome, but right before it right. fell. You know, right. What, this is what I meant earlier, how concerning and concerning it is to me that every generation reinvents the human condition. And there's yeah. no there's no connection to what we've learned in the past. And we reinvent putting new labels on the same old stuff. Yeah, well, it's so, like what happens with fashion. It's like, you know, when bell bottoms yeah. came back and right now acid wash is back in style. And it's like, OK, I thought we were done with this in the 80s. And apparently not. We got to. It's a revolution, right? It goes in circles. <laughs> right. A revolution rather than an evolution or a resolution, we would say. We, we don't, we're not, identity doesn't want to create more uh, revolution. It wants to create resolution where finally this, this shit gets settled. And you're not going to do it when you chase multiple partners. You're not going to do it by playing victim to another a worldview. Uh, you're not going to get there by uh, by uh, um, using power as a behavioral solution instead of inner uh, inner examination and strength. So whatever the domain, whether it's Netanyahu and uh, uh, the Hamas uh, or 
um, your your mate of the moment um, that you're working out stuff with, whether that's a lifetime mate or not, um, all comes back to childhood. It all comes back to childhood. Where, where did Gandhi, I read somewhere that Gandhi, whenever he had sex with his wife, he would smear his face with his own feces because he's he failed of one of the Hindu um, uh, uh, um, uh, assumptions about um, having to be chaste to become enlightened, which is a certain way of looking at things. Uh, mm-hmm. where, uh, where the same, a similar cousin of that is men holding their ejaculate, you know, and not, yeah. not ejaculating. So this is where the sexuality and, and spirituality and religion come together is a hot mess. It has always been a hot mess. It will always be a hot mess on either side of the spectrum uh, until we get that almost everything we do, all of our value systems as adults are connected to unhealed wounds, or at least in some large percentage <clears throat> contributive to our value systems, never totally, but certainly to a large degree. So into me, I see, into you, I see intimacy primary is about learning what your chosen intimate partner is bringing you to heal. And maybe if you learn to heal through it, you might get some of those fulfillments that you were originally in it for. Yeah, I was thinking about how um, the what we want in intimacy, you know, the joy and the goodness and the incredibly hot sex and the companionship, that's the reward for yes. doing the work of all that it pushes up. The, yes. this, and and it's, so it's okay to want that, but it's not yes. okay to want that without doing the work. The yes. same way you can have your glass of wine or beer at the end of your work day because you uh-huh. earned it. That doesn't mean it's okay to drink all day. (laughs) It's supposed (laughs) to be a reward for the work. Right. Or or a bottle of wine uh, every night after work. Right. Uh, It reminds me, I I think I've said this before, is what man was uh, so, uh, I I met, was so proud of himself how little sugar he had in his whole uh, diet. I don't have any sugar. And uh, we got to talking. I said, well, how about alcohol? He goes, oh. Nothing, just a bottle of wine a night. Uh, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so that was nothing. Not getting the obvious of how many carbs are in a wine, uh, in his case, a bottle every night. Uh, that, yeah, that's if, how he got through the day. He didn't need yeah, sugar. If you, you know, when you was, taste wine before the, what they call the wort in beer, I forget it has a name, the must, uh, yes, uh-huh. before it ferments, it's sweeter. It's as sweet as most grape juice, if not sweeter. Yes. Right. And all that gets turned right back into sugar. Yeah, that's why mm-hmm. I, I can't drink wine at night. I wake up in the middle of the night from the sugar rush. Same. I, yeah. I, I can have a half a glass of dinner as long as it's 6, 6.30 is the yeah. latest. I, don't, I can't drink past 6. Yeah. Neither can I. Uh, you just wake up. I wake up at 2 in the morning from the sugar high. It's yeah. so obvious. I mean, this isn't rocket science. But mm-hmm. I, so many adults just don't get that trend, that what happens there when you digest uh, alcohol. Yeah. And anyway. if you use sleep trackers, um, it, that's why I hardly drink at all anymore. Because it, even if I drink fairly early, it just it it lowers the quality of my sleep so much. It's just not worth it. Yeah, not worth it. I love that balance. It's another dead it. end. <laughs> <laughs> another dead end. I so I used to like yeah. it. I wished I liked yeah. it. I don't like yeah. it anymore. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, the net effect isn't worth the the numb or the zoom, whatever side of it uh, does your boat rocks your boat, you know. So in the end here, um, if you take anything from this podcast, uh, uh, at so many different domains we hand that we uh, address yeah. today, uh, that that it is impossible because of the structural element of fulfillment seeking that links our childhood woundings unconscious and childhood woundings to our choice of uh, intimate partners. And until that is seen as the first thing, not the only thing, uh, what does it say? Reasonable, but not sufficient. Um, Necessary, uh, but not sufficient. Necessary, but not uh, sufficient. Uh, Then you'll, you'll start having a much higher CQ quality to your intimate uh, relationships. And implicit in that, is very much a surrender dynamic. It's the surrender to, well, you may not want to deal with your childhood wounds, but, uh, and you certainly can try to find a partner that won't push that stuff up. And you could, you know, like polyamory usually is, um, or, um, uh, 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 sexual relationships where uh, there's a split between two and four chakras. Right. Um, right can try to work around that, but there's a surrender to like, well, what if that's actually part of the divine design Yes, and your own quest for fulfillment that is yeah. the expression of your very soul yes. will lead you just like in every hero's journey that has ever been yes. part of our mythology and heroine's journey. <laughs> yes. yes. The, 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 the journey toward your destination is a learning and a, a transformative process. And that's the point. It's not about yeah. getting the golden fleece or the holy grail or the whatever. Yeah, it's, it's the that, arc it, of it, your it, own journey and how it changes you. Even in Star Wars, right? It's about yeah. it's yes. about how you change, and that's the point. And we, yeah. you have to make it about the content fulfillment issue um, because it's a content based world. But in the end, it's about the context of your own soul's journey. Oh, baby, what a beautiful way to uh, complete that. And yeah. part of me just hates it just absolutely hates it. <laughs> and when identity would say, if you didn't hate it, it wouldn't be uh, starting to uh, heal. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's part, it's part of the process, right? Mm-hmm. So of course, yeah. we all just want to be happy and wish life wasn't so hard. And um, there's a surrender dynamic uh, to there. I mean, that's that and th- that's the meta surrender of just like the the dead ending of you can't control every aspect of your life. And um, yeah. It, the, yeah. the sooner you learn that, um, the, the better off you are. And so many layers of that, so many layers. Yeah, you know, last point here is uh, it, it occurred to me, I woke up one morning, um, didn't really know why I was feeling the way I was feeling. It was part joyful and part conflicted. And uh, just like you said earlier about one day, one life, in a, 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 a committed monogamy is the only way to heal because you're going to dead end in any other configuration. Uh, you're going to dead end healing your childhood. Go one step further there. You can't, you, you, it's absolutely impossible to be in denial of what most essentially you are. Mm. And if we are love uh, at our most essential being, then you can't, you can't slice up love into convenient categories that you prefer, your very essential being cannot be resisted. And so you serve, you can't one day, one life, just like with committed monogamy, might not this be this life, but uh, one day, one life 
the surrender to the essential love that, that we are made of occurs. And that's the day that identity would call the uh, full embodiment of its, of its paradigmatic assumptions when we literally operate without an unconscious wound basis contributing in any significant way to our life. Wow. Yeah. That's that's the that's the golden fleece in uh, uh, in identity. I get so. the image of um, uh, standing in a uh, infinitely long rainstorm, wearing mm. you know layers of raincoats and Gore-Tex and umbrellas, and it's like you can do. And then the rain is love, and mm-hmm. you can do all sorts of things to not get wet. But <laughs> the rainstorm is infinite, and eventually you will get wet and discover that it's not nearly as bad as you thought. And the fact that the human body is 70% water in that metaphor is <laughs> right. really You're actually nice already thing. wet. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Good one, Joseph. Okay. Yeah. Well, All right. Thanks for a very lively and heart-concerning re- reality check about the state of the outer world and the inner world. Yeah. Thank you, Stace. And uh, next time, um, tentatively on the agenda, will be a follow-on to this realization, that is, that you have no idea how to relate with other people, which is sort of a corollary <laughs> to the point of intimacy being to heal childhood wounds. Along that way is the realization <laughs> Is that yeah. you have no idea how to relate with other people, which is perfect timing for me because I, I, I think I first, I don't know, surprise, I actually wrote that when I wrote this list because I'm really yes. feeling it this last week <laughs> or two. Uh, I started to actually, no, no, I'm start, I found the part in me that yes. actually yes. realizes he knows he has, doesn't know how to relate with people. And so I've been feeling the, yeah. the despair of that. Uh, so yeah. it's good timing for me. I'm glad we'll be talking about it. Okay. It's a deal. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Stace. Thank you, listeners. If you there are any questions, as always, um, you know how to reach us. Until then, good luck and wish you well on your journey. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.